play call by Charlie White. McLean is back in there and he'll hand it to his big guy this time. Touchdown number 11 on the season for Jaron Mango. Oh, easy! Easy to Marcus Gregory! 307 yards on the ground for USF. Add to it and add a touchdown. Kelly Joyner Jr., his first touchdown. All right, good morning from Walterboro, South Carolina. Uh, this is the Fletcher and Fowler podcast here. I'm your host, Will Turner. Recording this intro Thursday morning, like I said, from Walterboro, South Carolina. Uh, if you would have asked me yesterday, I couldn't have told you where Walterboro, South Carolina was on a map. I still probably couldn't point it out to you on a map. But, uh, yeah, so... In the Carolinas, the sun is is kind of piercing my eyes at the moment as as it rises over a Ford truck dealership here uh, about the 8 a.m. hour. Um, last night was interesting. Last night was uh, was interesting. I'll dive into that a little bit here as we get you ready for USF and East Carolina. Uh, short week for the Bulls as they get a quick turnaround after that Temple game uh, to play here on Thursday night. Uh, game time set for 7.30 from Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in Greenville, North Carolina. We are here in South Carolina. Uh, again, like I said, um, it was a, it was an interesting night. If y'all ever wonder how these journalists, how journalists travel, I promise you, like, the, the average journalist is not like me. Uh, an average journalist is smart. Typically, they fly up to these games and 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 they do um, their due diligence and they, and they and they fly to these games. Like I said, um, I decided to drive to Greenville, which I've done once and didn't have a great experience doing it. So I did it again for some odd reason. And um, the last twenty four hours have just not even 24 but like 12 to 18 have just been ridiculous um obviously you know what comes with leaving town for a few days is you have to deal with things anybody who 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 has ever who's ever traveled before um knows i mean you got to got to make sure your pets are are ready to go or your pets are are, are safe for the week uh, you got to make sure you take care of all the bills, all the errands. You got to pack the suitcase. You got to do all that fun stuff. So uh, imagine doing all of that within about a three-hour time span. This trip, uh, as my 8 o'clock alarm actually goes off currently, uh, <laughs> I have an 8 o'clock alarm. Uh, you could tell me, you could ask me how many times I've woken up to it in the last two months, and I'd probably tell you none. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how, how long I've been up. Uh, yeah, so after packing my suitcase in literally 10 minutes, I uh, made I, I traveled to, uh, to South Tampa, Palmasia, uh, for a, a gorgeous uh, celebration of life uh, ceremony for uh, Mike Cortez. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to read my story on the softball side about Mike Cortez, uh, softball dad over, over at Berkeley Prep, and you're interested in that, uh, please take a look at that over at baymanfastpitch.com. It's a fantastic story. He's uh, Mike was a fantastic dude um, across uh, the Palmasia and Interbay Little Leagues. Uh, leaves behind a, a, a really, really sweet daughter in, in Kaya and, uh, and, a, and a pretty great son in Cade as well. Um, so Mike passed away last week. They had a celebration of life yesterday, so I wanted to make sure I stopped by that. And then um, I stopped for a bite to eat over at Armature Works and and was on my way at, at about 10 o'clock and drove throughout the night, forgot how much I hated it, and uh, forgot how much I hated driving 95 at night. Um, 
hit the typical traffic in Orlando, as you might expect, because why wouldn't you hit traffic in Orlando? Uh, drove up 95 and, and, and went the uh, rest of the way, stopped in Savannah. Thank God for a Holiday Inn um, parking lot <laughs> outside of Savannah, Georgia, near the airport. So that was fun. Made our way about an hour up. Uh, Carolina's just filled up some gas and, and uh, recording this intro from a Bojangles parking lot. If you all follow me on Twitter, at WTurner247, you all know I love some Bojangles. And I can only get it in the Carolinas. So uh, I was a little pissed last time uh, I was in the Carolinas uh, when I was in um, Charlotte, rather, um, for... Why the heck did I go to Charlotte? Oh, it was coming back from BYU. Um, I didn't get a chance to get Bojangles because the line was was 20 minutes long and my flight was about to board. So I didn't get a chance to get Bojangles, so I'm going to get Bojangles here on this Thursday morning. Uh, if you are listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast for the first time and you're wondering, you know, is this the type of typical content that we provide, a bunch of rambling uh, from a dude who's been up way too long, uh, no, that's not typically what we do, and you'll find that out later in the episode. But uh, I do appreciate you hopping on and listening uh, if this is your first time. Uh, we are on all four of the major podcast distributors between Apple, Google, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Make sure you check us out there if you're listening in your favorite browser with the megaphone.fm uh, embedded in the article, as we always do. Um, as well as that, make sure to check us out over on those other podcast distributors. And, and hopefully, if you're feeling generous and if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, we hope for uh, some sort of positive feedback and, and potentially even a five-star rating. We appreciate the feedback that we've already gotten so far. Uh, as, as we continue to grow this podcast throughout the USF space. We've gotten some great feedback so far, so excited to continue to grow there. Obviously, I won't bore you too much because I don't remember because I'm kind of listening or I'm kind of recording this with Wi-Fi, without Wi-Fi, uh, in, a, in a Bojangles parking lot in South Carolina. So um, we've got deals over Bulls247.com. Make sure to check those out. I think 30% off annual in one month. Uh, one, $1 for your first month is still, are, are still the two main deals over there. Uh, we want to make sure you get all that ready to go because, uh, signing day is just 49 days away. So make sure you, you check out those deals over at bulls247.com. Uh, dropped some good recruiting scoop the other day, um, with Tavin Ward's commitment. And, uh, we, we're, we're rolling over there. We're, we're getting the momentum back, baby. Uh, here on this, here on this, uh, week nine across college football so should be a good one uh go ahead and introduce our our guest on a podcast uh today is none other than steven igo from hoistthecolors.net um a lot of folks ask me uh whenever i go on an ecu podcast or or something of that nature uh the first question i'm always asked is you're steven igo for usf right and i and i and i kind of nod my head and i'm like yeah I, i guess but Steven Igo is, has been a, a friend of mine since I joined the network back in 2019, and the dude quickly became a mentor for me, um, trying to grow my site on the USF side. He's been at this a long time with hoistofcolors.net. He's done a fantastic job uh, growing the East Carolina site, just hit a major milestone subscription-wise, so congratulations to him for that. Um, he has done a major, major job of 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 building a brand within a small market um, that ECU is. So, um, you know, small market in terms of town size, not necessarily the fan base that ECU has. It's bigger than you think. But uh, Steven has been a fantastic guy to and, and just a terrific, uh, like I said, almost mentor type of guy um, for me over the last three years. And I was, and I was really glad uh, to finally have him on the podcast. We ended up chopping it up for nearly an hour like we always end up doing on this podcast. Uh, but Stephen dropped some great insight about East Carolina. Of course, you, you know, with conference realignment and American Athletic Conference expansion still being the, the hot topic, we, we do dive into that a little bit and what it means for East Carolina. Is there a similar boat as Temple? Kind of left on an island. Um, you know, they thought App State would be a good addition, uh, but they get Charlotte instead, which... Uh, doesn't necessarily uh, really 
you know, make, uh, make sense for a lot of East Carolina fans. Cause, uh, you'll find out kind of their, their feelings towards, towards Charlotte. So we'll, uh, we'll take a look at that. We'll, we'll dive into Steven Igo's uh, ire with American athletic conference refs. You'll find it out pretty quick. Uh, we'll get into that later on and in much more as we take you through our pregame podcast between East Carolina and USF. I'm going to go grab a chicken biscuit from Bojangles. Um, but while I do that, make sure to check out this interview portion right here. And back now on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, we have one of the most uh, long-standing American Athletic Conference publishers, uh, the, the infamous Stephen Igo. My man, uh, I'm glad to glad to have you on here because we've been talking about this podcast for like two years now <laughs> before it actually got going. Appreciate you hopping on, man. Yeah, I, once you finally got the full go ahead to uh, to get the podcast up and running, I was like, well, you know, I got to get on as soon as possible. So uh, glad to be joining you, man. Enjoy your work over at Bulls 24-7. You do a good job and uh, enjoy reading your work from recruiting to uh, team content, all that stuff. So excited uh, Excited to see you Thursday, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, first of all, man. You uh, shoot, if, if anybody set the tone, though, it's, it's, it's Steven Igo with what he's done at East Carolina. I remember good old Ben Beachler was like, you got to check him out once you get in. He does such a good job. So, um, but no, nah, man, it, I appreciate the kind words, but. Yeah, it's always fun when ECU and USF end up coming around to play. Obviously, uh, two programs very uh, similar to each other, to say the least. But uh, since the last time you and I talked and had a game day, uh, you've welcomed a, a little one into the world. How is, uh, how, is, uh, how is dad life? Dad life is a challenge, man. Uh, so we had our first son, Slater is his name. He was born in uh, – Late July, basically like three days before preseason camp began. So I timed it out well, got him after baseball season before preseason camp started for football. Um, but, man, it was a quick transition going from that to back. You know, you know, as a beat writer, there's no there's no real days off. So no, definitely working from home has become a challenge. Uh, luckily, we both have family in the area that has helped watch him. But it's awesome. I mean, every day is a challenge, but also super rewarding. And so – it's been a, a blessing for sure and uh, excited for him to grow up and then like kind of show him, you know, the sports world and kind of have somebody yeah. to share that with. Cause my wife doesn't really care that much about sports. So I have somebody to watch games with eventually. There you go. And it'll be a, a 20, 38, five-star recruiter, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you can only hope. You can only hope. Uh, future ECU pirate, maybe. Yeah. You, hey, maybe uh, who knows by then what, what conference each of our respective programs will be in. So, man, with the way college football is going, it's like I don't even know where I would recommend my son to go to school with, with just everything going on. But it would be tough to say no to the hometown Pirates if it comes down to it. We'll find out in 2038. Yeah, so so obviously your Slater is going to end up being a 2038 recruit. But until then, uh, ECU has got a, a few things to figure out on the football field. Uh, this is a team – you know, that you and I have talked about that that could very well be six and one heading into this week. And Jeff Scott said it too that this team could be is like three plays away from being six and one. Uh taking a look at the schedule. Uh, you know, there's a narrow loss to South Carolina on it, twenty to seventeen in week two. Uh a narrow loss to 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 a I'm gonna say it a bad UCF team. Um in week uh, two two weeks ago, before the Pirates uh, buy, and then obviously a, an overtime game, thirty four twenty or thirty one twenty four against a six and one Houston team, which you and I both are not sold on yet. But a team that uh, you know had to had to overcome a five hour uh, lightning delay, rain delay. Uh, first of all, before we kind of get into overall, just how was that Houston experience? Terrible. Terrible in every sense of the word, man. Uh, you know, the three, so it was a three o'clock central kickoff, and I had a flight out on Sunday at 8 a.m. So that would have been like a perfect scenario. You know, you, you get done with the game, seven, eight, you know, you do, do work and then kind of have the night to relax, get some sleep, maybe grab dinner. But no, all that was thrown out the window due to the uh, severe weather. It was terrible. Backed up kickoff till nine, till 820 central and then 920 eastern. 
I didn't walk out of the stadium till one central and I hadn't done any riding yet. I had to get up at five 30 to fly out. So I got about three hours sleep. Uh, I was still doing like work Monday afternoon on the Houston game, but we had already done the press conference for the South Florida game that morning. So it was kind of <laughs> like, it was kind of just weird. Uh, you know, the I mean, you need like a day or two after the game to really try to recap everything. So that yeah. was a major challenge. Um, so the experience was not great. I mean, the game itself, ECU, I would say for about 90 to 95% of the snaps really outplayed Houston. The problem is you give up a 98-yard kick return to one of the best guys, uh, Marcus Jones, in the league. You turn the ball over twice deep in your own territory. And then the first play overtime, they just overran a play. They had a blitz on, gave up a big touchdown run. Like, those are the four plays that basically swung the game. The rest of the game, ECU looked like the superior team. The problem is, as you know, with a losing program, like, it's hard to get over that hump to where you quit making those errors that cause you to lose the games or to finish a team like that on the road. So, there's no doubt ECU's made significant progress each year in the Mike Houston era. They, they each year have had kind of a hump to get over, and now that hump is – you know, how do you consistently win those close games to where you're you're not saying, hey, here are the three plays that beat us. You're saying, hey, here's why we won the game, and that's something that's still kind of plaguing this program right now. Right, and when you take a look holistically, the Pirates said it's, uh, what is it, three and four now coming into this USF week, and you take a look at the rest of the schedule between Temple, who is not good, and USF fans <laughs> saw that last week, a slumping Memphis team that may or may not be without, with, with Seth Hannigan, a Navy team that is inconsistent in Cincinnati at home to finish the year. Um, you know, that's still – and with USF, that's still five games and probably at least two winnable – or three winnable ones between maybe USF, Temple, Memphis, and Navy. I mean, you could win three out of that four and end up going bowling. Uh, you know, does, does, does Mike Houston and, and the Pirates know – What's at stake here if they play well out of these last five games? Yeah, I think coming into the year, the goal from, like, everybody within the program, it's been such a struggle getting back to a bowl game. So, I think six wins was the goal. I mean, obviously, you don't want to set a ceiling of six wins, and they could easily have six wins already. They could have found found a way to close out some of those teams. South Carolina, by the way, looks terrible each week, so I don't know how ECU found a way to lose that game. But with, to get with back that to graduate your, assistant quarterback, too. Yeah, yeah, that was just the – looking back at that game, that's really the one that you just shake your head at. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they have to find a way to win three out of these next four, I think, for it to be a successful season. I mean, Cincinnati, you take your shot at the end of the year, but realistically, I mean, what chance do you have at winning that game? They could be playing for a college football playoff at that point. So, I think this game is critical for not only ECU, but for South Florida. Um, You know, USF, obviously, feeling the momentum from the last game. They're going to come in confident and and hungry, so it's big for them. For ECU, you're coming off two really tough losses. You don't want to let that turn into a third loss. And, you know, you're playing at home. You know, you're playing a team. I guess ECU, what, an eight or nine-point favorite? I don't know if I feel confident. It's nine laying, and a half now, yeah. Yeah. I don't feel confident laying that type of spread with a team that has struggled as the favorite in recent memory. So, um, I expect a close game on Thursday. And if ECU messes around, they did against Charleston uh, Southern, they could easily lose the football game because South Florida is a much better team. They can run the football. But I think, yeah, starting with this game – ECU's got to find a way to to beat the teams that on paper they're going to be favored against, at least with South Florida and Temple. And then you take your shot at Navy, uh, at Memphis, and hopefully win one of those. But I, I just, you know, ECU's been such a struggling program. Like, for people to say they should come in and take care of business for South Florida, to me it's just you got to find a way to win the football game. Like, this is a this is a program that has not had – consistent success where you just expect them to go out and win a game by 14 points or so. Right. So USF is, it has, has pretty much owned this series uh, throughout its history, nine and two uh, in favor of the bulls. And they won five straight meetings that I think at one point, but they've never lost in Greenville. They're five and zero in Greenville, but you know, I think you can kind of throw that out the window after you take a look at what ECU did last year when they came to Tampa um, a 44-24 win 
Uh, Holt Naylor's played well. Rajay Harris ran all over that defense uh, in that game. Um, and then USF, uh, like Jordan McLeod, didn't play a bad game in that one through for 298 yards. But USF just didn't do enough to keep up in that one. Uh, what do you remember about that game last year? I remember you being a little surprised about how they came out and played in that one. I was shocked because, and, you know, we talked about it with the ECU offensive coordinator, Don Kirkpatrick, earlier this week. A week prior to the South Florida game, they had, they played at Georgia State, and everybody kind of expected them to go to Georgia State and win because they, they had played UCF okay in the opener, and that was a really good UCF team. And they just came back, and they got – they just got beaten every phase by Georgia State, and it was just like a shocking – moment I think a lot of people at that point you know the honeymoon period was over from Mike Houston you go to a Sunbelt team and lose by double digits so I, I think there was a lot of pressure from the fan base and really not a lot of high expectations and the fact they went to South Florida ran the ball the way they did which was kind of the first time they did that against a legitimate opponent in the Mike Houston era so uh, and I think since that game they've been pretty good I mean there have been some bad games here or there especially last year uh, like against Tulane. But, you know, the second half of last year on, they've been pretty consistently in every game. And even the App State game this year, they had two touchdowns called back and ended up losing by 14 points. So they've been right there every game. It's just a matter of can you make the plays. But I definitely remember that game was kind of a, I think, a wake-up call uh, in terms of USF fans probably realizing the Jeff Scott era was going to take some time. You know, he wasn't just going to come in and win right away. Yeah. Yep, and for ECU yep. fans, it was a kind of a monkey off the bat because South Florida, like you said, had owned the series ever since entering the American. For whatever reason, South Florida's played ECU in a lot of down years. And maybe, you know, for ECU's perspective, maybe that's starting to turn where the program's getting back to kind of where it should be. Yeah. Uh, for reference, the, the Pirates haven't made a bowl game since 2014. That was their first year in the American when they went eight and five. Um You've covered this program for, for, for a while now, um, obviously through the Scotty Montgomery uh, struggles uh, is probably the light way of saying that and phrasing that. But, um, you know, you've covered this program for, for, for enough years now. Uh, is the trajectory really going up for, for, for East Carolina with, with what Mike Houston's putting together? I definitely think so. I, I think the biggest thing is the, the defense is 100% – trending upwards. I mean, you can look at the raw stats and they're not that impressive for this year. Like total defense, I think they're somewhere in the hundreds and scoring defense pretty low. But like the last handful of games, they have looked uh, extremely physical, uh, extremely competent on defense. Really, I think they held Houston to five yards in the third quarter and didn't let them score in the second half at all. And yeah. so, yeah, Houston's a little down, but still impressive to go there and do that. UCF, Young team, again, without Dylan Gabriel, but I thought the defense really kind of dominated that game at points. They were crushing Tulane uh, in terms of big hits, that sort of stuff. So, And you're doing this with basically all underclassmen on defense. I mean, they're going to be really good in about a year or two. The offense is, you know, ECU fans are extremely frustrated with the offense. At times it looks really good, and at times it looks flat out bad. They're one of the worst third-down offenses in the country. When they're going good, they don't even get to third down. They hit a lot of explosive mm -hmm. plays with Keaton Mitchell, um, C.J. Johnson out wide, Tyler Sneed. Aylers can make some some big plays in the passing game. So it's almost like they're boom or bust offensively. They're either really good, really bad, explosive play, or a drive that stalls out. So I think the, the current trajectory of the defense is one that's extremely promising. The offense has a lot of underclassmen talent. It's just – you know, at some point you need to tweak what you're doing offensively because the consistency hasn't been there in three years. And I think a lot of people see it as if you can match the offensive progression with the defensive progression in a year or two, this could be a team that, you know, really is competing towards the top half of the league. Yeah. Uh, Holton Aylers, love them, hate them. Uh, you and I have had a lot of conversations about them. I know, um, you know, <laughs> he uh, – I think I saw one ECU fan – say that when he's pressured uh maybe he's able to hit the broad side of a barn um you know love him hate him uh Holt Naylor's has been the quarterback Jeff Scott went as far as saying that he thinks he's one of the best quarterbacks in the conference this week um but he's been East Carolina's quarterback for the last three three seasons now at least right um yeah what for for Holton um 
how do you evaluate his first seven weeks and kind of where he's come from? You know, it's the, the old cliche that the quarterback gets too much credit when the team does well and too much blame when the team loses. It's, it's definitely that way at ECU. And, uh, you know, the, the other issue is you have the, the fact that he is the hometown kid. So, like, every game they play on national TV, it's going to be talked about Thursday night. Greenville guy, dad's a PA announcer. So, like, there's all this pressure on him ever since he got here to be the one who kind of leads the ECU turnaround. And I think a lot of people just assumed he would show up, be that guy. He was a pretty highly rated recruit, you know, had offers from Florida, Georgia, a couple other schools, and chose to stay home. But, that you know, he just has not been able to find that consistency from game to game, similar to the whole offense. But, you know, he gets all the blame. But if you watch the Houston game, he did not play well. I thought he, he made, some, made some good throws, but also some really bad decisions. But the offensive line has just been a major problem ever since he got here. And so that directly impacts his play. Yep. Uh, they finally have some running backs now in place to where they can kind of lean on them in the running game when there's opportunities there. The receivers, you know, they got Tyler Sneed in the slot. They got C.J. Johnson outside, Audio Matosho, former UCLA transfer outside. But the depth behind them isn't great. So it's almost like a lot is on his shoulders. He at times has to do a lot of stuff on his own. And it's just hard for a quarterback to, to do that consistently. So that's why you see some bad games, because at times they just don't support him well offensively. And the coaching staff has said, hey, if it was as easy as let's just put the backup in and everything will be fixed, we would have already done that. So they basically said he's our best chance to win. We just have to get more consistent around him. Um, but he has not been able to take – the fact is he has not been able to take that next step, as has not the offense, in terms of going to the next level like a lot of people thought they would. Obviously, I know there's been some uh, there's been some some clamoring from just the you know the little bit that I that I see for uh, a high three star uh, Mason Garcia. I know he was a big get for 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 the Pirates, and I know right behind him is is Walter Simmons, that the quarterback out of uh, Oakleaf High up in the Jacksonville area that I kept pumping up to you and was like, this guy's gonna be good. Um, you know, obviously quarterback play is going to be big. Ehlers is, uh, you know, has been one of the most established starters in the conference. But, you know, when you, when you see uh, a Mason Garcia or, you know, even a Walter Simmons down there on the depth chart that, you know, fans think Mike could take the reins, you know, just what do you have to tell those fans? You know, basically just a, a trust the process type of deal and, and trust the coaches almost. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, that, it's a deal where the coaches, they see practice every day. And, you know, I, I think Mason Garcia has as much upside as any quarterback that's come in the program in a long time. But, you know, the upside and going out there and being able to run the offense, read defenses, is, is, is just such a big leap. I mean, you've seen it with, you know, the younger South Florida quarterbacks they're playing now. Like, there's no doubt they have talent, but they probably also make mistakes just because they're out there probably a little sooner than they need to be in reality. So if you could ideally wait two years, which is his Mason Garcia's second year, continue to teach him in the offense, give him a full offseason to really kind of learn as a number one guy, then I think he's ready. I mean, he can play now, he can make plays, but he would also make a lot of mistakes. So I say trust the process. You know, he'll get his time. Mike Houston has said on the record multiple times there will be a day when Mason Garcia is the starting quarterback here. I personally think it could be as early as next year. Um, as far as Walter Simmons, you know, they say he's already one of the best athletes in the program. I told you. To, yeah, <laughs> he, can, he can ball, man. I, even just watching him in scrimmages, this dude is out there running around with the scout team O-line just making plays even when nobody's blocking for him. So it's just a matter of, you know, they're having to retool some things with this throwing motion, so it'll take some time. But Mike Houston also said they're, you know, with the right development, he can definitely be a starter in this league. and. At worst, you know, if he wants to play now, he could go somewhere else and play, but he really wants to play quarterback. So they're going to leave him there and develop him. And, you know, his time will probably come one day as well. Yeah. Who do you see uh, else on this offense that, that, that could contribute really well? Obviously, there's some familiar names here. Rajay Harris, uh, Tyler Sneed, uh, two years ago, took the opening kickback 100 yards. And uh, before USF ended up scoring 35 unanswered uh, in that 2019 game. Um, you know, sorry, I had to bring that up. Me, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it, Ryan Jones is a you know Oklahoma a former Oklahoma transfer. Uh, who do you see that could that could play a big part uh, heading into uh, Thursday night? Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Rajay Harris thing because really this year he has not been able to have that Rajay Harris game that so many people thought he would have. And I don't know if seeing South Florida again may ignite that, but he really did have a huge game last year against the Bulls. Uh, but really the star of the running game this year has been Keaton Mitchell, who's kind of the more speed guy. Um, and he's like 5'9", 180, but he can flat out fly. He ran a 4'3 in high school, 40-yard dash. Uh, he's had four touchdowns over 68 yards this year. Um, so – and he hasn't had one of those since the two-lane game. And he had like three plays over 50 yards in the two-lane game. So – they, they, he only got 11 touches last week. It was kind of weird. They didn't throw the ball to him at all, which has been a theme. So I would anticipate ECU tries to get him back in, on track. Of course, South Florida is going to try and take that away. You know, the teams are not going to want to give up 50-yard touchdown runs. But right. he's a guy that if he has a crease, he will take it to the house. Um, you know, Sneed, you know, he's going to do what he does. He's going to work the slot, work underneath. The, the problem is, you know, outside receiver right now has been very inconsistent. You know, Audio Matosha has actually been more consistent than C.J. Johnson lately, and Johnson just hasn't been able to take that next step, similar to Ehlers, and they were high school teammates late in his career. So uh, you mentioned Ryan Jones. He's shown flashes. Um, he's also still learning how to play offense because he was a linebacker at Oklahoma. Shane Calhoun's the other tight end who's had some really good games. And then at other times just doesn't make many plays in the passing game for whatever reason or doesn't get thrown the ball. So, like many things, inconsistency is the, is the name of the game on ECU's offense. So, it's like I could name seven guys who could make plays. All seven might make plays. All seven might not. It's just you kind of never know what you're going to get from this offense. Without a doubt. I mean, and USF is seeing the same thing with their, you know, kind of rotating cast of characters every week. Uh, Jaquan McMillan has played really, really well for ECU. Uh, 41 tackles, four interceptions, a fumble uh, recovery. Uh, leads the team in tackles, leads the team, or it looks like he's, uh, you know, maybe second or third on the team in tackles for loss. Has played really well for the Pirates. What's been, uh, what's been the key to his success? He's just a baller, man. He, uh, he was the highest-rated cornerback per pro football focus going into – I think the last game um, in the country. And he, he didn't play extremely well versus Houston because he missed a tackle and he also gave up a touchdown on the goal line play. So that probably hurt I feel his like grade. PFF, you have to play perfect in order to get a good grade. You do. Oh, you, if you make one mistake, you're, get, you're getting dinged, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, McMillan, uh, he's a beast, man. He, and I mean, he's probably 5'9, 180 pounds soaking wet, if that. But I mean, like, he'll guard 6'2 and 6'3 receivers, and he just got such good feet and such good ball skills that it's uh, he'll just stick to them. I mean, he, he very rarely gets beat in man coverage. If he does, it's because the guy just went up and made a play over him. Um, so, I'll be, I'll be interested to see if Weaver plays for South Florida if they try yeah. to match up McMillan with him um, because I think he's probably their best receiver right now. And, but he's good, man. Elite ball skills. He should have had another pick last week. It was called back due to a, a bogus pass interference call on another player. We'll, we'll um, talk about a, a, AAC refs because oh, I know man, how passionate you about you are. <laughs> uh, but he's just good. And Malik Fleming, the other cornerback, is really good too. You know, if they give up yards in the passing game, it's usually over the middle against the linebackers and safeties. It's hard to beat BDCU on the perimeter at corner right now. Yeah. And, and USF, obviously, is coming off a week where they ran the, the, the football extremely well, 445 yards of, of, of rushing, four, uh, excuse me, 454 yards uh, gained against, uh, against Temple the other night. Um, when, this de when this East Carolina defense is doing well, what are, what are, they, uh, you know, what are they doing to, to, to play well? It's their hallmark. In a in a word, I would say they're doing everything because that's like Blake Carroll, the defensive coordinator. I mean, they have so many different packages, fronts, coverages, blitzes. I mean, they – Houston coach Dana Hogerson said after the last game, he was like, this defense does more than any defense I've coached against. I don't know if that was just coach speak or what, but they mix it up a ton. And now that they're in the second year of the scheme, you're really trying to – you're really seeing it take hold. Like last year they gave up a lot of big plays because they blitz like crazy. 
Like Jeff Scott, I think, said they blitz 80% of the time. I don't know if it's quite that high, but they blitz at least 50% of the time, 60% yeah. of the time. Um, and they come after you from they, – they bring a lot of safety blitzes. They bring a lot of, uh, you know, nickel blitzes. So, they just come after you. They put pressure on you to make plays. Um, they mix up man's own coverage. They had five sacks against Houston last week. They create a lot of pressures. Now, at times, they do give up big plays because, you know, when you're in your aggressive defense, if you find a hole there, you can beat them. Um, and that's been a problem at times, but it has been corrected somewhat recently. So, I would expect a lot of blitzing on Saturday. I mean, South Florida runs the ball really good with success. If ECU just line up and try to play base defense against their line, I don't think they would have that much success. But they're probably going to try and run blitz a lot, put pressure on the quarterback to beat them. And I think you'll have to see a lot of play action or, or deep passes from South Florida to have consistent success offensively. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, especially off a week where USF rushed the ball, like I said, just really, really well dominated Temple at the line of scrimmage, which, um, you know, they were going to have to do. They were going to have to do coming into that game. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, or I don't know if you watched the first half of that game, considering, you know, you were in a rain delay, but, uh, it's exactly what they did. Um, you know, they ran the ball well, a lot of outside zone uh, for Jaron Mangum and, and the two speed backs. Um, and then the last time USF went up to Greenville, Jordan Cronkright ran, uh, had, a, had a pretty successful day against East Carolina. Uh, so it, you see this game being won, in the, won and lost in the trenches pretty much? I do. I mean, it, it's – I think it's I've... – Obvious that if South Florida comes in and and they run the football, they definitely have a chance to win the football game. And ECU, like, you know, against teams where they know they're going to get the run, they've done a pretty good job of outside of App State. App State killed them, but they run this the zone uh, the zone stretch play, and that's been an issue for the defense. So I don't know if South Florida runs that at all. If it's more um, inside zone or or outside zone or what, but. I would think that they would try to implement some of that just based off the stretch. ECU's had trouble defending that. As far as the rest of the, you know, they shut down South Carolina's running attack. Um, they shut down Houston last week for the most part. They really stifled UCF on the ground. So I would expect ECU to, to I mean, to pretty much come all out, say, hey, let's stop the run first. And if they can't stop the run, then South Florida is going to be able to move the football and eat clock. And that's how you neutralize, obviously, ECU's offense against South Florida's defense. So, um, the, the good news for ECU fans is when the offense typically has a bad game or two, they bounce back with a big game. We talked about consistency. Well, they've been consistently inconsistent. So, um, the good news is they're due for a, a big performance, I guess, if you're an East Carolina fan. I I found a tweet of yours that, you know, because we me I mentioned we were going to talk about AAC refs because there is nobody in this conference that is more upset, more passionate about calling out AAC refs than Stephen, I Stephen Igo. So I want to read you this tweet real quick for, for, for the listeners. Um, this was after uh, CJ Johnson, I guess, got sucker punched in the face um, against Houston. Steven, Steven tweets, the more I watch the replay of Johnson just getting sucker punched in the face, the more I can't believe the pure incompetence by the officiating on hand there. At some point, something has to be done. It's embarrassing for the league. And this isn't the first time you've called out an AAC officiating group. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Um, so, uh, so, so, so let's, let's air some grievances. What's, uh, what, what, what's on your mind regarding these? Uh, first of all, I guess, talk, uh, talk about that, you know, play with C.J. Johnson uh, against Houston. All right, so for South Florida fans who didn't watch the game, which I'm assuming they probably didn't, um, or maybe watched some but not this particular play. So it was fourth down for ECU at the Houston 30, fourth and like five. ECU went for it. Ehlers threw an incomplete pass to Omotosho down the, down the sideline. On the opposite sideline, C.J. Johnson, while he's being held by the Houston cornerback, gets punched in the face, like directly punched in the face during the play. The refs see it. They throw the flag. Okay, so they penalize the play. But then after, after the play, when they're making the call, they rule that it was a dead ball personal foul, and there's no ejection. They just ruled it a dead ball personal foul. They gave the ball to Houston. Nobody was ejected. And the replay 
the replay shows that C.J. Johnson's being punched as Omotosho's diving for the football on the other side. So I don't know how you see the play if you're the ref. You see the play, you call the flag, and then you somehow say that it was a dead ball play when you threw the flag during the play. I mean, that, if that's not pure incompetence, that is – I don't know what that is, but it's pathetic. It's happened – you know, I don't think they're against TCU like a lot of ECU fans think. Like, I just think they suck. And uh, they are incompetent. <laughs> They screw up for every team. Don't even get me started on basketball officiating. Oh, it's even worse. Oh, my God. Oh, it's even worse. (laughs) It even happened uh, last year against Tulsa. uh, The refs flat out cost ECU a game, and they admitted it afterwards, Um, which somehow they they overturned the correct call on the field after going to video replay at Tulsa. I remember So, I mean, it's just – it's – it's pathetic, man. That's all I have to say. I could I could rant about it for days. <laughs> Wasn't there an issue in the in the UCF game this year too? That you there had was, towards yeah. the end. Yeah, I mean there was there were some questionable calls, but nothing as egregious as a guy getting sucker punched in the face and throwing the flag and and not ejecting the guy and saying it was dead ball. Like, it just boggles my mind. Like. I don't know. Like, I, I just – I can't fathom it. Okay. It'd be so one thing if you miss it completely. But, yeah. So, no, no. so, so what's your solution? What's the Steven Igo solution for, for, for bad officiating in the AAC? Well, the easy solution is hire better officials or train them more <laughs> full-time. Um, because I just think it's whatever, – whatever system they're using, I, I, think I, I think I read that they have, like, a joint – uh, joint officiating crew with another conference. I can't remember which it was. Don't tell um, me it's the ACC because if it's the ACC, that explains everything. I think it honestly might be, but it, it's one of the Power Five conferences, or it used to be, to where there was a, you know, they basically share officials. Um, I just feel like the a, the a, American, if they want to be, you know, they're, they're making more money than any other group of five league. Therefore, the officiating needs to be on like a, a pretty good level. You know, obviously, you're not going to get every call right, but yeah, I remember a few years ago, like, there was just a bad call against Memphis in a crucial game where they went to replay and somehow ruled it was, like, an incomplete pass, even though it was clearly a completion. I don't remember what game it was, but there's just, like, constant issues every year, man. And yeah. at some point, you just got to get it fixed. I don't know what their their protocol or their training is, but whatever it is, it sucks, and it's not working. <laughs> and maybe now that the American is adding FIU and – or FAU and – UTSA, UAB, it won't matter as much, but uh, it just it just pisses me off. Yeah, you you led right into one of my final questions here as we as we begin to wrap this up. Um, obviously, six new teams. Um, <laughs> we're on. Y'all don't get to see the 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 Zoom reactions because we do these on Zoom. You don't get to see the smiles and the and the. Um, and the and the reactions once we started to bring something up, Steven just about started chuckling, busted out laughing when I when we talked about conference real when I mentioned conference realignment. Um, three new schools in Texas. Uh, let's see, UAB, Florida Atlantic, and what's the other one? Charlotte. So so ECU gets a gets a rival, um, quote unquote. Um, I guess I should start with this. Are Charlotte fans already trying to start a rivalry with ECU like Florida Atlantic is with USF? There are no Charlotte fans, so I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think that they are. No, I mean, really, though, like I know a few guys who went to Charlotte. It's more of a commuter school than anything, okay. but it is in a robust, growing city. Yeah. But they've only had a program for like eight years, and I think that's what makes a lot of ECU fans mad, like, you know, ECU's been playing football since the 1930s. Now Charlotte's been playing for less than a decade, and now they're in your same conference. So, But I do think it'll be nice for ECU to be able to bust somewhere in league, like similar to South Florida, outside of UCF. Who can they really bust to um, Nobody. during this America? Even, I, I, and I don't even know why you'd bust to Florida Atlantic. I mean, that's a terrible drive. I mean, Yeah, I mean, you know the deal. <laughs> like, the travel sucks, man. I mean, yeah. It's uh, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. None of this does. I mean, none of this makes sense uh, in terms of college realignment. the The only reason it's being done is to keep 
the TV revenue, you know, the American, the, the remaining schools are going to keep that $7 million figure around there, which is significant. You know, I've been told that the incoming schools like an FAU will only start off making around two to 2.5 million uh, and then it'll grow over time. But whereas USF, ECU, they'll make 7 million a year off the TV contract. So that's a significant uh, advantage, I think, for the remaining schools in the league. And I wrote it last week that, you know, for schools like ECU, South Florida, um, Tulsa, Tulane, like this is an opportunity for them to kind of become one of the flagship schools mm-hmm. of the American, kind of establish your dominance and not just, you know, because Charlotte and FAU and all these schools are just coming in, that doesn't mean automatically that ECU and South Florida will be better than them, but there's an opportunity for that to happen if the administrations and the coaching staffs at those respective remaining schools kind of continued the upward trajectory. I mean, I think the American would, would much rather see East Carolina, South Florida, Memphis, those type of schools really excel in this new AAC than, you know, Charlotte or whoever come in and, and start winning games immediately. When we talked to, to Ryan Waller from Al's Daily last week uh, for our Temple you know, preview. Obviously, Temple's in an interesting situation because they're kind of left out on an island. I mean, especially in the non-football, when when Navy's not around, because the closest to to Philadelphia is is ECU, and that's not a hop, skip, and a jump. There's a few states in between North Carolina and Pennsylvania, um, so obviously they're kind of on an island. ECU's not kind of. Do, do ECU fans feel like they're kind of on an island now, even though they, they added Charlotte? I think so, because, I mean, I think a lot of ECU fans would have rather, rather seen a school like App State be added, yeah. which has more in common with East Carolina. Like, Charlotte really doesn't have that much in common with ECU. You know, it's in a big city. The only thing it has in common is it's an in-state school, and yeah. you can drive to it. I mean, App State, I get it from the conference's perspective. If you have App State and ECU in the same league, like, it's a good football game. It's a good rivalry. I think a much more natural rivalry than Charlotte and ECU. But then you have a school in Boone and a school in Greenville, North Carolina. And it's, it's tough to get to both those places. So, travel is yes, easier. It is, t- it is tough to get to Greenville, North Carolina. It is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. Every time I fly out and fly in, it's a pain in the ass. Um, I don't know if I can cuss on this show, but I just did. Um, it's all good. So, it's all good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's – you look at it now, ECU is the only school in the league not in a major uh, metropolitan area, which is another right. deal. Um, so it, it, it's just a weird fit. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much ECU has in common with this league versus the Sun Belt, which has a lot more teams similar to ECU's mold. But at the same time, again, the Sun Belt schools are going to be making 500000 to a $1 million off TV. ECU is going to be making $7 million. And you take $7 million any day of the week, even if you're sending your – your dang volleyball team out to UTSA or whatever. Um, yep. So you uh, you make it work. Again, college football, college realignment doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's all about the money at the end of the day. And as long as the money's there, you make it work. Yeah, and I and I pointed out too, uh, you know, on a previous podcast that it wasn't just about you know, obviously football is the driving and the TV markets are the drive are the driving factors, but there's a few sports that. You know, with this latest round of, with Cincinnati, UCF, and and Houston leaving, the American wasn't going to have enough teams to to support. You know, and get it get uh, automatic NCAA bids. Um, you know, between I know softball was one of those sports, men's soccer was one of those sports, um, even women's soccer was one of those sports, if I remember right. And uh, so yeah, so definitely some other things. Michael Kelly talked about it this week on his podcast, uh, Bull Speed Ahead, that. Uh, because he was on the board that it was, it was, it was uh, about stabilizing the league. So, um, you know, now that knee jerk reactions aside, conference USA 2.0, whatever you want to say, there were, you know, there's some more, some more, uh, I guess, factors behind it, but that's, that's the hand that everybody's dealt. Um, For those folks that are making the difficult trip to Greenville, for those that, you know, have listened to the podcast for quite a while, y'all know, I, I, I have to ask on these away trips, I have to ask, our guest uh, for some uh, recommendations for all those USF fans making the trip, the difficult trip to Greenville, uh, might I stress difficult. Uh, I'm just hoping I don't wreck my car on the way up this time. Yeah, drive safe. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not going to be taking US 84 to get, get to get across Georgia uh, this time. Um, so so yeah, so so uh, you've lived in Greenville for a long time. You're an ECU alum, correct? Yes. Yep. So you've lived in Greenville for quite a long time. So for those USF fans uh, heading to Greenville, I know it's not the biggest biggest of city. It's not a Raleigh like they were in uh, in September, but there's got to be some some good spots to hit uh, in Greenville. Uh, what you got for me? Yeah, definitely a lot of good uh, good eats around downtown Greenville, and it's really kind of expanded significantly uh, over the last five ten years. And um, so, I, you know, if you're looking for like a a good atmosphere, like college type atmosphere. There's this place called Sup Dogs, which won the uh, the Barstool Best oh, Ball yep, yep. contest two years in a row. I mean, it's it's pretty legit, um, and you know, good drinks for sure, uh, good food, just a great atmosphere. You know, it's definitely a college bar, but if you're like, you know, for the Thursday game, if you're just looking to get lunch, it can be pretty low key on a Thursday um, for lunch. So I would recommend you know go there for lunch. Maybe if you want to do some pregame tailgating there, obviously that would be a good spot too. Great atmosphere. Um, close to there on Dickinson Avenue, there's a place called the Dap House, which I actually got married at, me and my wife did. Um, great food, you know, kind of an upscale, but, you know, pretty relaxed restaurant. Uh, very cool scenery, uh, good bar, great people. So that's another place if you're looking for like a sit-down restaurant, definitely get there early because they – they fill up pretty good. So, I mean, if you're looking for barbecue, there's a ton of options for Eastern North Carolina barbecue, which, you know, I really like, but obviously I'm from here. So <laughs> if you want to try that, Parker's barbecue is, uh, is, is good, but you know, I kind of prefer Sam Jones barbecue and also there's uh Moore's barbecue and bees barbecue. So you got plenty of barbecue spots and uh, no matter what you want, uh, you should be able to find it at one of those locations. I feel like I've got to get some fried okra for, for, for clip, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you, you can uh, get some at Parker's barbecue. Yeah. yeah Most of the barbecue it, places have some fried okra. Please, please tell me you saw, you saw the, the, the outburst that, <laughs> that clip had the other night on the fifth quarter, uh, uh, show after the game. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll try a, I had so many text messages about that game at about midnight, 1 a.m. Central. So, I, I feel his pain, man. I can't even imagine trying to take a bunch of drunk callers at 1 or 2, 2 a.m. Eastern. And, and he said he was not feeling good that day. So, I'm sure he oh, was pissed okay. off. Good old, good old Clip Brock, man. I <laughs> his, um, his fried ocracity, I think, was what he called it. Uh, when he got some just, just – idiot they call it at like two, two o'clock in the morning greenville time <laughs> it was hilarious but it clips the man he he can make light out of any situation and i'm sure he's happy because of his braves too oh there's no doubt there's no doubt he's on cloud nine right now <laughs> um all right we got to wrap this up but uh before beforehand uh let's talk predictions here uh obviously ecu comes in as the favorite uh, about a ten-point favorite. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes on on Thursday night. But but USF has not lost in Greenville. They're five and zero in Greenville. Uh, does that streak continue, or does ECU defend home turf? You know, I, I worry about this game from ECU's perspective because of the short week. Obviously, it's a short week for South Florida, but I I feel like almost. Tra you know, the, the way ECU got back, which was Sunday at 6 a.m., so they basically lost a full night of sleep mm. and have had to recover. I feel like that almost neutralizes South Florida traveling um, somewhat. You know, obviously playing at home is still an advantage. You know, I, I lean towards ECU winning this game, but I, I do worry, you know, it, it seems like when they're the favorite, they just don't play as well historically. And so we'll see. I think ECU wins by a touchdown or so. But I, I expect a very good game. If South Florida can keep it close throughout and run the football successfully, they can definitely leave town with the win. And um, it looks like there could be rain in the forecast, which I think might even favor their style as well. Yeah, I'm kind of regretting almost trying to get a photo credential for, for Thursday night because I saw the rain and I was like, ah, man. Right. Um, 
Awesome. Good stuff always from, from the man, the myth, the legend in Greenville, North Carolina, Stephen Igo. I always get the question whenever I come on ECU podcast, they're like, are you basically the Stephen Igo of, uh, of USF? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, how can, uh, how can everybody see the, the, uh, terrific work that you do over at Ho- uh, hoistacolors.net? Yeah. Uh, the, just like uh, for your site, you know, go to 24-7 Sports or search the ECU tab or search the team site tab and find ECU or just go to uh, eastcarolina.247sports.com or hoistthecolors.net, whatever way you want to get there. Uh, we got a ton of content on the game, not as much as usual due to the short turnaround, but sure. um, obviously a lot of ECU coverage if you want to read that. And, uh, yeah, man, just check it out, hoistthecolors.net. Yeah, and uh, and and it's Stephen Igo on Twitter. Uh, he'll be yep. providing his normal terrific uh, AAC ref uh, <laughs> propaganda against uh, whatever <laughs> on Twitter. Every time I uh, every time I hop on like a conference call with the league, I do feel like they just hate me because I do nothing but bash the <laughs> But to be quite honest, I feel like they deserve it, and until they get it fixed, it's going to continue. And I call, you know, even if it's a bad call towards ECU, it's not like I'm just saying that, um, or, you know, in ECU's favor. Like, I'll be the first to say that was a terrible call. Like, I've, I've done it in basketball before. Like, there's some terrible calls. When ECU's playing South Florida, don't even get me started. I'm sure there's, like, 50 missed calls in basketball. So, I have no problem calling out an official for a, a call for or against East Carolina. Yeah, yeah. No, I, we need to get Chuck Sullivan on here and, and, and ask the tough questions. Do you hate Stephen Igo? Do you not like him? Uh, Last time they <laughs> called him Stephen Ego, so probably. probably <laughs> uh, good stuff as always, brother. Appreciate you, uh, you hopping on. And no doubt, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you Thursday. All right, so that was Steven Igo, man, and and let me tell you, uh, he is like I said at the at the top. He is one of my favorite folks to to talk to. I'm always shooting him texts, picking his brain about different topics around the conference, and and uh, you know he definitely uh, he definitely showed showed uh, showed just terrific insight um, as 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 always as he always seems to do. So. Uh, greatly appreciate Stephen for for hopping on 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 short notice. Especially I know uh, I know with with a new kid, uh, with a new baby boy, he's uh, he's he's a lot busier than he used to be. Um, congratulations to to him and his wife uh, for for that. And uh, again, just greatly appreciate Stephen for hopping on and 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 for all he's done uh, to help Bulls twenty four seven grow because he really he really has to be honest with you. Um, he's done a great job just, just, just helping out every now and again and, and helping me get over some mental roadblocks to be able to build this site because, uh, he was in a similar spot too when he took over. So, uh, again, greatly appreciate Steven for, for all he's done for the site, for, for hopping on the podcast and greatly appreciate you for hopping on the podcast and listening here as you get, uh, ready for your game day here, uh, Thursday night. Um, I know there's a couple of big watch parties going on back in Tampa, whether that's with the Daily Stampede over at Irish 31 uh, down at High Park. I know there's a big one in Pasco County for, for those Pasco County folks listening. Uh, I think at Walk-Ons or something like that up there. Um, so definitely some, some good places to watch the game. And, I mean, you don't really even have to go far if you want to watch the game at home. It's right on ESPN. So should be a good one tonight between ECU and USF. Um, the Bulls have never lost in Greenville, so this will be interesting to see uh, if they get their second win in five days. Uh, supposed to be some pretty heavy rain in Greenville tonight. That's going to be kind of chilly. In all honesty, it's cold here right now. It's about 51 uh, in South Carolina, so still got another like 250 miles to go uh, to get to to get to Greenville. So, um, but I'm going to go do that. Y'all go enjoy the rest of your Thursday before before kickoff. Greatly appreciate everybody listening. Again, uh, we are on all the major podcast distributors, so if you did listen to this in the megaphone.fm on on your favorite browser, make sure to check us out over on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and consider giving us a five-star rating on as many platforms as possible as we continue to grow this podcast within the USF space. Again, for 
On behalf of Stephen Igo, I was Will Turner, your host on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, and we should be back post game with something uh, Friday, Saturday. It should be a little bit earlier before the before Monday for sure, uh, with a little bit of a shorter week. So again, appreciate y'all listening. Have a great rest of your Thursday and uh, enjoy the game tonight, whether you're watching it uh, with some friends at a bar or at home or anywhere you might be. And uh, appreciate everybody listening. We'll talk to you again soon.